me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. We have been uh, this summer doing a series on the passages that uh, contain the phrase, one another, and uh, we've kind of grouped them. We are this week uh, and then next week uh, winding down this series, and then we're going to be uh, jumping back into uh, our study in James. But let me ask you to uh, follow along, recognizing this is God's Word. Uh, it is truth. This is not a, a story. It's not a fable. It is truth from the God of the universe. We begin with the 19th verse in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great uh, priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is truth. And now we pray that you would give us ears to hear you, that your truth would be our ultimate encouragement and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That was kind of them to wait until I was ready to start speaking before they came by today. Our sound men are so used to that, they just turn me up and then turn it back down. Now, before we get into this passage and the passages that uh, uh, we're going to deal with today... I want to introduce you, and you may know of this uh, Greek word, but I want to introduce you to a Greek word. So you can all, this week, when you go and you talk to your friends from other churches, and you say, so what did you do in your church yesterday? And they tell you something, you can say, well, we learn Greek at our church. So the, the word, though, and I usually don't give you the actual Word, but in this case, uh, it, it's helpful really to understand, and it's going to keep popping up in our passages uh, today. You, you might see it there on the outline. Uh, the root word is parakaleo, and the first part means alongside of. That para means alongside of, 
And then the kaleo is to call. So the idea is uh, one who is literally called alongside of. Now think about that for a moment. What would be the meaning of a word that is a compound word of one who is called alongside of another? If you think of a child, if a child is fearful or they're not confident in something that they're about to face, they're scared, and you're nearby, what's the best thing you can tell them? Well, I'll be here right beside you. Well, I'll, I'll walk through it with you. That's what this word is. It's the idea of one being called uh, alongside of, and so it becomes an encouragement or a comfort. Now, I want you to kind of put that on the side burner, but uh, I'm going to be pointing out where we are seeing that word uh, or derivatives of that root uh, popping up in various places. But as you can see, our, our, what we're focusing on today is encouraging one another. Now, let me give you a little bit of the history of encouragement in the Scripture. You go clear back to the garden. And in the garden, you have God himself being there with Adam and Eve. He was specifically their comfort, their encouragement. Sin comes into the world, and we see the history of God dealing with his people throughout the Old Testament. And again and again, we see various expressions of how he is going to encourage his people. How is he going to comfort his people? Well, we see it, for instance, in the tabernacle. He said, this represents my presence. So where are you going to build the tabernacle? Well, you build it right in the middle of your camp so that he is alongside of all of his people who gather around. There's the comfort. There's the encouragement. Now, we move on. Uh, we, we see various emanations of uh, his presence in the Old Testament, the burning bush and various things like that, again, to show his presence. And then we get to the New Testament and what happens? Well, the incarnation. The incarnation of God sending his one and only son to do what? To tabernacle among us, that's literally the word there, dwelling among us. And so Jesus, for a period of time, walked in the midst of his people. He was the direct encouragement to his apostles, to his disciples, to uh, his mother, to all those that were around. But then we read in John 14, Jesus says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That's the word. 
to be with you forever. Who was that helper going to be? It was going to be the Holy Spirit. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is called? The Comforter. Do you know what that word is? Paraclete. One who is called alongside of. That's why there is comfort in him. And so we who are believers in Christ have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We carry around that comfort, that encouragement. And yet, there is another way that he has chosen ordinarily, in addition to the Holy Spirit, to bring encouragement. And that is through encouraging people. And so he says, encourage one another. Let me give you a couple examples of people that he brought for encouragement. Um, If you're following the outline, you see there in Ephesians 6, 21 and 22, it, it talks about someone named Tychicus. It says this, and this is Paul speaking. He says, so that you also may know how I, how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. See, Paul could have written a letter, but instead... He wrote a letter, and he sent a person, one who could come alongside to encourage one another. And then probably, at least in the New Testament, uh, humanly speaking, the one who is known most for his encouragement would be Barnabas. We read in Acts chapter 4, It says uh, this in verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. See, his real name was Joseph. We, We don't know him by that. He was called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So he's got a nickname. You know, they're not calling him Bubba or Fat Boy or Slim or anything like that. They're giving him a name about his character. I mean, to be known for something like that. And that's how we know him to this day. Who calls him Joseph? Barnabas, the son of encouragement. There's a place in Acts that then talks about that because some of you may be a Barnabas. And you may say, well, yeah, I can encourage people, but, oh, man, I wish I could get up and teach, or I wish I could do this or that, or had this or that gift of the Spirit. Look at this. In in Acts 11, verse 25, it's talking about Barnabas working with Paul. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. 
For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, it'd be easy to just kind of fly through that verse, say, okay, well, there was Paul and there was Barnabas and so on. But think about what you have there. You've got probably the greatest teacher of the Bible ever, the Apostle Paul, teaching these folks for a year. But you you see what's there to compliment him? Barnabas, the son of encouragement. So there you've got these two wonderful gifts that God gave to his church and gave to that church to do what was best, not just teaching, but teaching and encouragement. That's that's incarnational uh, living. In other words, Jesus plan was to continue ministering personally to his, his people, to his people, through his people. So Jesus ascends to heaven, he sends his spirit, but he also says, look, in addition to my spirit, I want you, you all, to encourage one another. Encourage, meaning come alongside of one another. So how do we do that? Well, the passage that we read earlier, there is an encouragement in gathering. Hebrews 10, 24. Let's consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, okay? Help each other in in this way. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So he is uh, contrasting not gathering with not encouraging. He says instead, instead of staying apart, you need to come together and encourage one another. And you do it all the more because, look, the day of Jesus is coming. There's reason for us to be together. And so how do we do it once we come together? Well, one obvious way is speaking it to one another. Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. When our oldest son, uh, Nathan, was about nine or ten, at the church uh, I was serving at that time, we had a Christmas program, and all of the children were going to sing. It was on a, a Sunday night, and they got up in front of the church, and they were on risers like this, and he was up in the back of uh, the risers, and uh, things were going along splendidly, and then he started getting faint, and I guess I'd never really told him what to do if you start feeling faint and you're in front of a group of people, and so he started swaying, and then like bowling pins, uh, he went down. He took out the one in front of him, then two, then, you know, 
and he did a face plant, you know, on the ground. And I was somewhere up uh, probably in the front row, but I grabbed him quickly and carried him out, and someone else picked up the other kids and put them up there, and then they continued on with uh, the program, and my office was off of the sanctuary, and they finished the program, and I was sitting there with Nathan, and he, he, he began to feel better, of course, but he was, he was embarrassed. And then, one by one, various men from the church came into my office. And one of them would come in, you know, and when you're 9 or 10 and a big man comes in, you know, he was, he was embarrassed, but the guy would say, hey, I remember when I was in the Army, we were all standing there, and, and he told a story about... Uh, you know, him or somebody else falling flat. One fell, and then there was three or four, you know. And we heard story after story from these men. And, and by the time we went home, he was fine. I thought, oh, you know, isn't that, a, isn't that what this is? It's just a, a word fitly spoken to encourage. They didn't have to come in there and tell the, this little boy about that but it encouraged him, and then that just became a part of one more Weldon story about our kids, you know, something that happened. There's another thing about encouragement, though, if it's going to be biblical encouragement, that, and that is that it, it's encouragement biblically with God's truth. You see, that's what makes it different than just positive thinking or just somebody out there saying a bunch of nice things, or, uh, you know, your best life now kind of thing, where there's no content. But instead, when we see encouragement, it, it's with real content based upon the truth. Why are we to be encouraged, in other words? Well, whenever we are told to encourage one another, there's a reason to do it. Let me give you uh, an example here. And this is Paul again in 1 Thessalonians 4. And I want you to hear the great theology that we hear in this. It's verse 13. It says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So he's dealing with, uh, with the, the big issue of when someone dies. For since we believe, and here's the great theology, here's the gospel, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not proceed, will not go before those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend here he's, now he's talking about the second coming of Christ uh, from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, I don't, I don't expect you to Remember everything in there. Just remember this. He's giving all this great theology. He is talking about the gospel. He is giving the great hope that we have, uh, that this life is not all there is. And then he says, therefore, 
encourage one another with these words. You see what he's saying? He's saying, talk about these things with each other. Share these things. Remind each other of these wonderful things. That's where the comfort is. You see how different that is from just saying, oh, they're there. Everything will be okay. This is encouragement with content. With content from God, who is, after all, the ultimate encourager. Later in Thessalonians, it says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. And that's right on the tail end of more big theological uh, truths. You see, I share this often at funerals. And, and when I'm doing a funeral, you know, I've had so many people say, oh, I can never do a funeral. Well, yeah, there are hard things about doing funerals. But here's the thing that en enables me to face funerals without being scared of what I'm going to say. God has spoken to these things. He's given us encouragement. So when I share these things, I've got something to share. I'm not just saying, oh, look, death is a part of life. You know, you'll be okay. How empty would that be if that's all I had to share? It's encouragement with content. Last week, I just passed my anniversary for 30 years since I was ordained. Um, I had served in churches for six years before that. So in that many years, it's pretty easy, quite frankly, for me to look back and think of many things that I would have done differently <laughs> if, uh, if I had them to do over again. Come on, 36 years, of course. As I was preparing this message, I thought back to something in a previous church. There was a group, and it was a, a very good ministry, and it was a ministry of uh, uh, older ladies to younger ladies. I say that carefully. Uh, they called themselves that, okay? And uh, they met every week. But they called the group Encourage Me. Now, here's the problem. I, it was a great ministry, but I don't think that was a great name for that. Because here's the implication. Encouragement is about what you do for me. I'm going to show up. Okay, encourage me. You see how that can be imply a self-centeredness? That wasn't what the ministry was about, but... I probably, looking back, would have encouraged them to have a, a different name as I look back with 2020 vision. Sometimes I think we do that in the church, though. We come and we say, okay, well, he's preaching on encouragement. All right, here I am. Come encourage me, everyone. And you see, that's not, that's not the biblical perspective. That's not what it's saying. 
It says you, whoever you are, whatever you're going through, you encourage one another. Now, yeah, at some point, hopefully you will be encouraged. But it's not to sit around and wait for it. It's to, for you to obey that. Several things I want you to know if you are, are, are willing to be an encourager. First of all, people needing encouragement are all around you. I promise you that. That's the case today. People here need encouragement. But we've got to be in, intentional about encouraging one another, about speaking those words fitly spoken. Ask God to help you be sensitive to those around you needing encouragement, knowing that uh, there are those that need it is one thing, but identifying them as another. And realize that some folks are covering up what they need encouragement about because they're embarrassed about it. So it's not about prying into their life. It's asking God to give you the words to speak to people, even today as you leave here. And then we need to be receptive to hear if we want to be an encourager. In other words, if you say to somebody, how you doing? And they say, fine. And you say, no, really, how you doing? And then they start to tell you how they're doing, and your eyes kind of glaze over, or you, you kind of look around them, and you're kind of regretting that you said, no, really, how you're doing? You know, they're going to see that. And you know what? Next time when someone says, how you doing, they're going to say, fine, and cover it up because they have risked telling you really how they're doing and you've cut them off. And it's going to be harder for them the next time to be encouraged. And then know that God is the ultimate encourager, but he uses his people. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. It's the same root word from parakaleo. Comfort, encouragement. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. There's that word over and over and over again. And here's the point. It's like a trickle-down thing. Is that you go through a difficult time or something that's difficult, and God somehow comforts you. It's not just so you'll be comfortable. It's so that you can then comfort someone else who is going through that or something else and you will be able to comfort them better because you've gone through whatever it is. You know, here we see Paul sharing his feelings openly. But here's the point. When you comfort someone else because of the, an affliction you've been through, 
it's, it's not pointing to you. In fact, it's showing your weakness, but it's pointing to the faithful God. And that's when real comfort and real encouragement will come. Only in that way can we bring it to others. Now, in doing this, let me just give you one very practical thing. Don't go up to someone and say, I know exactly how you feel. Because you don't. When my father died back in uh, the year 2000, but if I'm dealing with someone else whose father died, I don't say, I know exactly how you feel, because I don't. I don't know their relationship with their father. I don't know their spiritual relationship or any of the dynamics. So that just wouldn't be true. And it wouldn't ring true to them if I said, I know exactly how you feel. In fact, it minimizes whatever they are feeling. And so what I say is something like, I know how I felt when my father died. Or I know how hard it was when my father died. Or something like that where you are relating to them because of the, the affliction or the challenge, but you're not minimizing what they're going through. And then one more thing, and that is ask God to lead you to the one. As I said earlier, he wants you to encourage and to give you the right words of encouragement. This morning when I got here before light... <laughs> I, uh, I rarely look at email on Sunday, but I did for some reason this morning. And I saw uh, there was a letter from uh, Wendy Kelly, and it was to the pastor in Hull. Now, let me explain. Uh, for Vacation Bible School this last week, the offering was for this church in Hull. You've, you've heard us talk about it some. It's a tiny little church. It's where the Goodwins are going to begin working. There is a pastor there, but it's tiny, and they, they're trying to reach out to uh, that community, which is a, a, a community that just does not know of Christ. In fact, the pastor said recently, he said, I was walking out of the church, and a little girl said to me, is that your house? And he said, no, that's uh, not my house. That's my church. She said, what's a church? She said, or he said, that's where you worship God. And she said, who is God? He used that because he said, that's an illustration of the children in our town. They don't know. You know, we think of England as being Christianized, and it's, it's long gone for many. And so the offering was because they have a, what they call, instead of vacation Bible school, they call it holiday Bible club, and we wanted to support that. It's going to be in a few weeks. And so Wendy wrote a very nice note to uh, Bill, the pastor there, Pastor McCulley. She said we had some 120 students, and... Uh, she says this, as people began to understand just how absent the light of the gospel is in Hull, they have been moved to pray for you and the ministry of East Hull Presbyterian Church. Please know 
that many are praying that God will bring many children to Holiday Bible Club and that God will continue to use you to minister to the children and their families in the coming months. It gives me great pleasure to let you know that we will be sending you 1,050 U.S. dollars to assist you in ministering to the children and families of Hull. Well, it's going to be more than that because others have donated since that time. I, when I heard that announced, I was overwhelmed. This is uh, Pastor McCauley's response. I'm just going to read you a, a few lines from it. He, he starts out, says, Dear Wendy, I read your email last night but have not been able to reply before now as I didn't know what to say. The kindness and generosity of the folk has touched me very deeply. Even as I type this note, I find myself struggling for words to express how I feel. Um, he says, I was overwhelmed to read of you having 120 children at your vacation club. Uh, <laughs> he says, if I may use an American expression, wow. <laughs> he says, if we manage to get 20, it will be a good year. And yet there are hundreds round about. And then he says this. The gift is more than I can deal with in my, itself. For the last 11 years that I've been running the Holiday Bible Club and indeed the children's work throughout those years, we've struggled to do it on a few pounds. But the Lord is always sufficient for our needs. In the last year, some of the parents who brought their children to the after-school club would bring games and biscuits, those are cookies for us, to use uh, in the club. Uh, amazing when you think these were non-Christians. One little old lady brought her granddaughter and slipped a $5 note, a five-pound note into my hand. So when I say I'm overwhelmed, I really mean it. Also with the responsibility of such a gift. Do please pass on my grateful thanks to all the folks and especially to the children of the Vacation Club and assure them that all of it will be used to reach the children in the area around the church. And above all, thank them for their prayers. And when I read that, I thought, is that not what we are talking about? Here, here's a little church over in England. Here is a pastor who deals quite naturally with discouragement. And yet... The children, under the leadership of our children's ministry, the children here have brought him great encouragement. What a wonderful opportunity. And I think that's really, in essence, what God wants us to do, to be an encouragement to those who are in need of encouragement. And you know what? I... I find when I read the letters back from Pastor Bill, I'm encouraged by his faithfulness there. I know he's not doing it for that, but it is a great encouragement to me. May God help us to see those that he is calling us even today to bring encouraging words to. Let's bow together.